Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Section 22 of The Most Extraordinary Trial of William Palmer by Anonymous. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. 11th day, May the 26th. The proceedings in this protracted case were resumed this morning at the Old Bailey. The public interest which it has excited from the first appears in no degree to have abated, and the court was again densely crowded. The prisoner was placed at the bar punctually at ten o'clock, and we were unable to trace any change in his appearance or demeanour, although he naturally listened with marked attention, in which one might occasionally detect a shade of anxiety to the summing up of the lord chief justice still it must be admitted that he looked as little concerned as any one in court several persons of distinction were present during portions of the day and among them we noticed mr gladstone m p general fox mr milnes gaskell m p mr c forster m p mr olivera m p lord g lennox m p the recorder the common sergeant Alderman Sir R. W. Garden, the sheriffs, and other gentlemen officially connected with the administration of justice in the city. Summing up of the Lord Chief Justice. Silence having been proclaimed. The Lord Chief Justice Campbell proceeded to sum up the case to the jury, but spoke in so low a tone that some part of his address was not audible in the reporter's inconvenient box. He said, gentlemen of the jury we have at length arrived at that stage in this solemn and important case when it becomes the duty of the judge to explain to you the nature of the charge brought against the prisoner and the questions and considerations upon which your verdict ought to be given gentlemen i must begin by conjuring you to banish from your minds all that you may have heard before the prisoner was placed in that dock there is no doubt that a strong prejudice elsewhere did prevail against the prisoner at the bar in the county of stafford where the offence for which he has to answer was alleged to have been committed that prejudice was so strong that the court of queen's bench made an order to remove the trial from that county the prisoner by his counsel expressed a wish that the trial might take place at the central criminal court and to enable that wish to be accomplished an act has been passed by the legislature authorizing the court of queen's bench to direct the trial to be held in this court and so as to secure to the prisoner that he shall have a fair and impartial trial gentlemen i must not only warn you against being influenced by what you have before heard 
but i must also warn you not to be influenced by anything but by the evidence which has been laid before you with respect to the particular charge for which the prisoner is now arraigned it is necessary that i should so warn you in this case because the evidence certainly implicates the prisoner in transactions of another description which are very discreditable it appears that he has forged a great many bills of exchange and that he had entered upon transactions which were not of a creditable nature those transactions however must be excluded from your consideration altogether by the practice in foreign countries it is allowed to raise a probability of the prisoner having committed the crime for which he is charged by proving that he has committed other offences by showing that he is an immoral man and that he is not unlikely therefore to have committed the offence with which he is charged that is not the case in this country you must presume that a man is innocent until his guilt be established and his guilt can only be established by evidence directly criminating him on the charge for which he is tried gentlemen it gives me great satisfaction that this case has been so fully laid before you everything has been done that could have been accomplished for the purpose of assisting the jury in arriving at the right conclusion the prosecution has been taken up by the government so that justice may be duly administered the attorney-general who is the first law officer of the crown having conducted it in his capacity of a minister of justice the prisoner also appears to have had ample means for conducting his defence witnesses have very properly been brought from all parts of the kingdom to give you the benefit of their information and he has had the advantage of having his case conducted by one of the most distinguished advocates of the english bar gentlemen i must strongly recommend to you to attend to everything that fell from that advocate so eloquently so ably and so impressively you are to judge however of the guilt or innocent of the prisoner from the evidence and not from the speeches of counsel however able or eloquent those speeches may be when a counsel tells you that he believes his client to be innocent remember that that is analogous to the mere form by which a prisoner pleads not guilty it goes for nothing more and the most inconvenient consequences must follow from regarding it in any other light i will now say a few words in order to call to your minds what are the allegations in this case on one side and on the other on the part of the prosecution it is alleged that the deceased john parsons cook was first tampered with by antimony that he was then killed by the poison of strychnia and that his symptoms were the symptoms of poisoning by strychnia then it is alleged that the prisoner at the bar had a motive for making away with the deceased that he had an opportunity for administering poison that suspicion could fall upon no one else and that a few days before the time when the poison is supposed to have been administered he had purchased strychnia at two different places it is also alleged by the prosecution that his conduct during that transaction and after it was that of a guilty and not of an innocent man the prisoner at the bar on the other hand puts forward these allegations that he had no interest in procuring the death of john parsons cook but on the contrary that it was in his interest to keep him alive that the death was not occasioned by strychnia but by natural disease and that the symptoms were those of natural disease and were by no means consistent with 
the supposition of death by strychnia these are the allegations which are urged upon one side and the other and it is for you to say upon the evidence which of these allegations you believe to be founded on truth gentlemen you have a most anxious duty to perform the life of the prisoner is at stake if he be guilty it is necessary that he should expiate his crime if he be innocent it is requisite that his innocence should be vindicated if his guilt be proved to you on satisfactory evidence it is your duty to society and to yourselves to convict him but unless his guilt be fully sustained by the evidence it is your duty to acquit him you must bear in mind that in a case of this sort you cannot expect that witnesses should be called to state that they saw the deadly poison mixed up by the prisoner and by him openly administered circumstantial evidence of the fact is all that can be expected and if there be a series of circumstances leading to the conclusion of guilt a verdict of guilty may be satisfactorily pronounced with respect to the motive it is of great importance in cases of this description that you should consider whether there was any motive for committing the crime with which the prisoner is charged for if there be no motive there is an improbability of the offence having been committed if on the other hand there be any motive which can be assigned for the commission of the deed the adequacy of that motive becomes next a matter of the utmost importance the great question which you will have to consider is whether the symptoms of cook's death are consistent with poisoning by strychnia if they are not and you believe that the death arose from natural causes the prisoner is at once entitled to your verdict of not guilty if on the other hand you think that the symptoms are consistent with poisoning by strychnia you have another and important question to decide namely whether the evidence which has been adduced is sufficient to convince you that death was effected by strychnia and if so whether such strychnia was administered by the prisoner in cases of this sort the evidence has often been divided into the medical and the moral or circumstantial evidence they cannot be separated however in the minds of a jury because it is by a combination of those two species of evidence that their verdict ought to be given in this case you must look at the medical evidence to see whether the deceased died from strychnia or from natural causes and you must look at what is called the moral evidence to consider whether that shows that the prisoner not only had the opportunity but that he actually availed himself of that opportunity and administered the poison to the deceased now gentlemen with these preliminary observations i will proceed to read over the evidence which has been given in the course of this long trial praying you most earnestly to weigh that evidence carefully and to be guided entirely by it in the verdict at which you may arrive i begin with that part of the case which was first raised by the attorney-general with respect to the motive which the prisoner is supposed to have had for taking away the life of john parsons cook now i think that that arises out of certain pecuniary transactions which must be fresh in the minds of all of you it appears that the prisoner had borrowed large sums of money upon bills of exchange which he drew and which purported to be accepted by his mother a lady it seems of considerable wealth residing at rugeley those acceptances were forged and the lady was not aware of them until a recent period when they became due and proceedings were taken upon them 
One of those acceptances for £2,000 was in the hands of a gentleman named Padwick. £1,000 had been paid, and £1,000 remained due to Mr. Padwick upon that bill. A solicitor named Pratt, of Queen Street, Mayfair, had advanced large sums of money to the prisoner upon similar bills to the amount, I think, of £12,500. 